Sales Paradise, Episode 20. There are nine billion ways to be successful. And, and success is a very dangerous word. If you let someone else define that for you, you're automatically playing their game. I think you've got to do the work. We all have to do the work to constantly redefine what success looks like in our life. This is Sales Paradise. Now here's your host, our dad, Chandler Barron. <laughs> On today's episode, we have Nigel Green. He builds businesses. He's built a career in sales and marketing and works with companies eager to scale their sales teams. He currently serves on the advisory board at Reload, uh, which is a hyper-growth healthcare platform that has grown 300% in less than a year. Uh, he's also been a VP of sales at Foundations Recovery Network, and he's, he's done quite a few things that we'll get into. He's even been the CEO of StoryBrand, but, but uh, welcome to the show, Nigel. Chandler, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be with you and other sales professionals today. Yeah, really glad to have you on. Well, reading through here, it's amazing the things that you've accomplished while still being relatively young. Um, well, how did you get into sales to begin with? You know what? Uh, maybe it does seem like I should be older, but I want to address that because I think there are people listening to this episode today that may be wondering if the fact that they've had shorter tenures at companies is going to be a a red flag or kind of a black spot on their resume. And because we get that advice from our parents, at least I do, I'm 34 years old. And that was something that uh, my parents instilled in me was that you, you get with a company and you stay there for a while. And and I just want anyone that's listening to that and wondering if that's the right advice for them, to just want to point out, say, I don't know if that's true anymore. I think that, uh, especially as someone who does a lot of hiring now for sales professionals, good salespeople don't always stay long. There are going to be exceptions when they do, but they are basically working themselves out of a job when they do it well. So uh, I think I think if you're listening to that and that sounds like you, uh, be be encouraged more than discouraged. If you look back at your resume, you, you're demonstrating growth, you're adding value to the company, but you find that you're getting recruited to new and better opportunities over time, which was really what happened to me. You know, I started, to answer your question, I started as a sales professional in healthcare down in Jacksonville, Florida. And really, it was the only thing that met a couple of goals for me. Flexibility with my time and the ability to engage others during the day. So I started out uh, in and around healthcare around 2006, was managing a territory, then quickly realized that some of my skills uh, were that of a coach, and I would have to coach my customers through a complex selling cycle. That actually made me a really good sales manager in helping coach different sales representatives to manage their territory better. Then I was leading a team uh, for a company called Professional Hospital Supply, uh, ran all of our East Coast accounts, and then uh, in 2012, as, as you can see in, in my bio that you'll post in the notes, uh, it was my first opportunity to build and lead a sales team from the ground up. And that's actually what I really enjoy doing is taking sales teams that are maybe underperforming, but maybe they've just gotten some traction. And in either situation, scaling quickly is what the executive team needs and what the business needs in order to make the most of the opportunity. Yeah, I think you've been a great example of uh, basically someone coming up that's still relatively young that you don't have to be a certain age or have a certain amount of tenure at one spot 
before becoming a leader? I mean, obviously, you're not extremely young, but you're someone that basically uh, moved pretty quickly up to the level you are. So what are your, what's your advice or what are your thoughts on someone that's younger that thinks that, okay, I need a certain amount of years? Yeah, and let me say it a different way. So for those of you that are listening that, that have been manning, managing your territory or, or with your company in the same role for five years, don't believe this story in your head that you, you now have five years of experience. There's an argument that you have one year of experience repeated five times. Because it's really easy to get comfortable as a rep, a territory manager, or whatever the role is. You're not exposed to different things in the coming year or in the coming years. It's hard to argue that you're building new experience. You're just repeating that same year over and over again. So if that sounds like you, it may be time to go and find new experience so that you actually can start building towards years of credible experience. Yeah, many times those of us that have hired quite a bit uh, when we see you know someone's resume and they've been in the exact same position for quite a few years, uh, without realizing it, the first thing we start thinking is that this is someone that's afraid to take on new challenges or has been you know complacent in their spot and and maybe afraid to move up to the next level or just to move out of their comfort zone. That's my take on it too. I, I like I'm okay with seeing that uh, you know rep. Our manager has been with the company for five, six, seven years, but I want to see that you've held multiple roles within the organization over that tenure. Yeah, that's a good point. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you're having to switch companies, but you want someone that's actually not been in the exact same position for the same years. That's right. So of the experiences that you've had, were there any times that you just really felt like you were just a, a square peg trying to fit into a round hole or have all of them kind of made sense? Well, I think that there are probably going to be times, if you look back, if I look back at my career, even the opportunities that were really good ones, and they all have been, have been fun at some point, but there have also been times where I felt like a square peg in a round hole. So I think that's a normal situation when you when you find yourself experimenting a lot in your career taking on new challenges pushing yourself beyond your comfort zone you're going to uh, bump into uh, discomfort or disease and, and it's not always going to feel great and you're going to learn that through your decision tree you may have made a bad mistake and so one of the things that i have made a habit of doing and it's a practice that was taught to me back in around 2009. And that's this practice of firing myself every year. And if you've never been fired, it's a really challenging, uh, healthy exercise. And, and most when I think about when, when I say fire yourself every year, the thing that most people think about is, man, that, I don't want to ever be fired. And I think that there's an argument that it's much better for me to fire myself than for someone else. My supervisor or my direct manager to do the firing for me. And uh, if any of you have ever been through that type of firing, it feels a little bit different than what I'm talking about. But I think it's when I go through this exercise of firing myself, what, what I'm really trying to recognize is that failure is a good way to learn. And it's okay if I decide that the circumstances have changed and I no longer want to do this role if I no longer want to fulfill this job description, or if I'm giving it everything that I can and I still can't meet the expectations, walking away is just fine. And I'm okay with that. 
Uh, and building that exercise into my practice every year, sitting down and saying, do I still want to do this job? Here are the roles and responsibilities. How have they changed since I took it? How have I changed as a person? Am I still the best candidate for this job? And if the answer is no, I found it's just best to walk away in the same way that we ask and, and tell our teams that no is sometimes the best answer with a customer. I think sometimes no is the best answer when we think about how we want to approach our career. You know, I love that because if nothing else, it gives you time to kind of step back and think, okay, well, what would I need to do differently that would make me the ideal person for this uh, job that's coming up this year? Um, like you said, it can be different, but you know, I actually would, wouldn't mind firing myself to, if nothing else, just have an excuse to eat an entire cheesecake. <laughs> <laughs> or drink a bottle of bourbon. That's what I would do. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, you're, you're right. I think back to, and, and this is going to sound very true to everyone that's listening. When you first start a new opportunity, how you do the little things, whether it's just making sure every email in your inbox gets down to zero every single day, or how you find yourself staying up at night, consuming all the product information and understanding the competitive landscape. But at some point, we start to let off the gas, and and that's natural. But here's where it becomes dangerous. When you become toxic, when you start encouraging others uh, to exhibit poor behavior, when you start telling or in your mind, I'll get to that email later or I'll fill in the blank, that's a really – that should be a hot button. That's a dangerous behavior and and it should cause us to pause and say, am I still the right person for this job? Because – it's a real slippery slope between letting off the gas and becoming toxic in your company. Yeah, toxic in your company and also just affecting your overall business self-esteem. That's right. Well, you said you do this every year. Uh, where did that idea come from? Yeah, so uh, there, there was a guy named Jarrett Wimpy, and he was uh, he was a peer of mine in, in the state of Texas. And I got an email from him around the end of the year that said, uh, subject line, something to the effect of, looking for a new rep in Texas. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Jarrett's the Texas rep. So it got my attention and I opened it and and he said, uh, I've been fired. I'm looking for someone that meets the following qualifications. And it was a list of behaviors and results that were required to excel at managing the Texas territory. So, you know, think about your job, you know, all the specifics, you know, what the KPIs are, you know, what your company's looking for of you. And, and I, and I thought, Okay, that's interesting. So I called him and I said, what's up, man? He said, look, that's the job. That's what's going to be needed in the next year. If I'm going to hit my quota and if I'm going to be able to be a top rep. And Jared had always been top five in the company. He said, if I'm going to keep keep myself at the top five, those are the things that need to be done. The guy that worked last year, he's not going to be good enough next year. So I'm firing him and hiring a new one. Here's what the new guy looks like and what he'd done. So this is here's how you apply it. He had looked at what were the objectives that needed to be done in that period? For him, it was an entire forward-looking year. But for you, it, it may be this quarter, because you may want to fire yourself right now at the end of the first half of 2018 and hire someone else, hire a new you for the second half of the year. So he looked at what needs to get done in order for me to look back on this period and say it was successful. So what are the results? Okay, what about my behavior needs to change in order 
for me to achieve those results. And he got really clear down to what does my day need to look like? How many people do I need to talk to? How much money do I need to make? How do I make that money? How much do I need to sell? All those things. And then the very last question, am I still the best person for this job? And the answer was yes. So he fired himself and then quickly rehired himself with that new job description that he'd already written. And it gave him this sense of renewal and clarity that I think oftentimes gets lost uh, when we're in the midst of it and causes us to wonder if this is right for us. So I think sometimes you'll just do the exercise and realize, yes, it's still me, but these behaviors need to change in order for me to be successful. Yeah, that sounds like a great exercise for everyone to do, even if it's just, you know, something that they keep private, but, you know, something that they review every single year. I, like, I really like that. Well, for the reps that um, might have some interest in working at startups, do you think that there's a particular personality profile or, or, or certain reps that are better at startups and then some that are better at more of established corporations? Or do you think that uh, there's a lot of a lot of overlap in the characteristics and tendencies. Yeah, so that is a, a really good question. And and yes, there are certain characteristics and tendencies that um, that I think will help you decide whether or not a startup or an established company is for you. So if you enjoy change, if change is the one constant that you need, and I'm not talking about change as in you're in a different account each day and you get to work from a different coffee shop. But if you really enjoy bigger pivots like change in the offering, change in the structure, uh, change in the commission model, those types of big macro changes, then I think you'll do well in a startup. But if you heard me say change in commission, change in structure, change in offering, and you went, uh, startup's not for you. You need to go work in a more established sales organization that has product market fit, that knows exactly how to commission and how to compensate for the service or products that the company takes to market, and you want to do your job, grow your account base, then you need to go work in a more established uh, organization. Because what I've seen in my experience in startups is it is all about survival. If that means making a change to the, the offering or making a change to what the customer wants, it's about doing it right now. And reps need to participate in that change, bringing ideas to the management team and saying, what if we just change this one feature? Or what if we added this additional benefit? Or what if we charge this much versus you know X versus Y? If, if you enjoy that, startup's a good place for you to be. Yeah, if people do the exercise as far as firing themselves every year, that could be one of the questions they even ask themselves. Um, you know, am I at the point in my career or, or is my personality more suited for a startup, more of an entrepreneurial type of pace or atmosphere? Or uh, do I want to be in a different type of role? I think that's right. I think that's the way to think about it is what which environment is going to be most conducive for me to be successful. All right. All right. Well, that music means that we are now at the lightning round section. So what I do is I just ask some quick questions. Um, and uh, so the first one will be, uh, do you have a book that you'd like to recommend the audience read? Oh, I think everybody needs to read Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. Oh, okay. I haven't read that one yet. What's the short synopsis of that? 
It's about the role that your ego plays in three stages of life, success, failure, and aspiration. So when we're going after something, when we've achieved something, and when we have failed. So your ego can take over in all three of those categories. And this tells you, it takes examples of really iconic figures that we all know through aspiring, achieving, and failing. And it breaks down the role the ego played. And it helps you understand the role that uh, your ego plays. All right. Now tell us what a typical day looks like for you. My typical day is uh, early. I'm, I'm always uh, early to rise. I typically get up at 4.30. I read for about an hour. I used to go straight to exercising, but now I have two young children. So I go straight into dad mode. I notice I haven't looked at my phone, no emails. I, I really don't sit down and touch anything uh, work-related until uh, a little after eight o'clock. I think that the first thing that's important to me, you know, check, check the boxes that, that are most important with your family and then my own fitness. And, and fitness is not just physical, it's also mental uh, and spiritual. So I make sure that I am nurturing my, my mind the first thing in the morning. So working in the startup world, uh, how many hours a week do you typically work? 40 to 45. Awesome. That's what I would have thought. So see everybody, um, even in the startup world, you know, to be successful, you do not have to work yourself to death. It's basically, it's about being efficient and uh, just kind of getting in the right spot. I was just going to say, there's this principle called Parkinson's law that uh, it's a law of physics. It says uh, matter will expand to meet the capacity. And uh, while it was designed to talk about, you know, solid liquid gas in a container, it's also true in work. If you work 12 hours a day, if you allot that amount of time, I've found that you will find things to fill that time with. But as a matter of constraint, if you say, I've only got eight hours, you tend to put yourself on a, a budget, so to speak, with what are the things I can get done today that are going to be most important? And then you realize a lot of the stuff you do to fill the other four hours, somebody else can do. Uh, you don't need to do it at all, um, or you're just... Yeah, it's just a waste. Yeah, and and the sad thing is um, not only you spend too much time doing it, but it takes away from other parts of your life. Mm -hmm. What about a favorite quote? Any any quotes that come to mind? Oh, man. So the one that just came to mind, I don't know if it's a favorite one, but when you said that, this came to my mind. What you do is so loud, I can't hear what you say. And I think that why that's relevant for me is I just think uh, action is the most important thing. I interview a lot of people for sales roles, marketing roles, and, and they all want to tell you about what they've done, uh, what they can do. And I, I really just like to see what you do. Oh, yeah, I agree. Well, okay, what about a charity, any type of charity that you um, kind of feel compelled to share? Oh, man. So I really think Mercy Ships is a, uh, a great organization, and that's one that we've dedicated a lot of time, effort, and resources to it reload. And, and what they do is they've, they've bought these old retired cruise ships. They've converted them into hospitals, and they park them off the coast of Africa. And they do these incredible life-giving procedures, like working on limbs so that young children can walk and use their hands, doing incredible dental procedures. And so that what they, they sponsor doctors and clinicians from around the globe to go and volunteer their time to serve uh, these unfortunate individuals in Africa. And I think that's just uh, incredible work. 
Oh yeah, I like that. Thanks so much for highlighting it. Okay, well go ahead and uh, for us, now that we're at the end, uh, give us a takeaway as far as all of the listeners, um, something that you'd like to kind of stick. Play your game. And I think that, uh, and I'll unpack that a little bit. There is there's nine billion ways to be successful. And, and success is a very dangerous word. If you let someone else define that for you, you're automatically playing their game. I think you've got to do the work. We all have to do the work to constantly redefine what success looks like in our life because it does, it, it changes. It's always shifting based on circumstances. But once we know what, what our goal is, what our outcome is, only play that. It's real easy to look up and, and see what everybody else is doing. But, but I've learned that comparison is the ultimate thief of joy. And we start comparing our success, whether it's our beginning to somebody else's middle or our way to somebody else's strategy. It's a, it's a 100% way to lose. You'll lose the game. So play your game, but you got to figure out what it is and just stick to it. Put your head down and don't look around and see what everybody else is doing. Yeah, that's some excellent advice. Um, there's so many times that we uh, we're kind of confused about um, we want to be inspired by people, but there's a difference between being inspired and basically comparing ourselves to them or trying to play their game. Uh, so that's uh, something that we all need to keep in mind. Well, Nigel, what is the best way for people to get in touch with you? I am real easy to find. You can send me an email to nigel at findevergreen.com. I write about sales and sales leadership uh, on my website, findevergreen.com. And uh, if you send me a note, I will get back to you as quickly as possible, usually within the same day. All right. Well, thanks so much, Nigel, for joining us here in Sales Paradise. My pleasure, Chandler. And I uh, hope you and the rest of the crew continue about your journey to exist in a state of paradise. All right. <laughs> <laughs>